All right, I think <laughs> I think we are good to go. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna restart right now. I'm gonna restart. <laughs> Welcome to the Why Jesus Podcast, episode number eight. On today's podcast, we're gonna be discussing technical difficulties along with <laughs> apologetics with one of my favorite YouTube YouTubers. Uh, his channel's name is Apologia Center, but his name is Arthur. So, Arthur, I know you're with us, and you're probably streaming better than I am right now. So, <laughs> just real quick, we wanna we wanna know a background of how you came to Christ before we get into our topic of the day. Uh, just for anybody who may not know you. Cool. Well, thanks, man. Um, you know, this is life. This is a lesson in life. You do, and uh, you learn. Uh, my name is Arthur. Uh, there's no H in there, but you guys can put it in there. It's okay. Um, and uh, I, I run a ministry. It's not just a YouTube uh, channel, but it's a ministry called Apologia Center. And um, we can get into that in the future, I guess. But uh, just a little bit about me is that uh, I'm Armenian. Uh, I'm married. I have three children and um, who are eight, six, and four years old. So that's fun household. I became a Christian when I was 18. Um, and I was born and raised in Armenia, moved to the United States when I was 11 years old. In a culture uh, that is largely influenced by Christianity, uh, Armenians being uh, officially the first Christian nation on the planet, uh, that is uh, always around you. There's probably not an Armenian household that you can walk into without there being a Bible inside that household somewhere. And... Um, with all of that around you, you kind of feel like, you know, Christianity, you feel like you are a Christian because you can't be anything else. It, when people used to ask me uh, whether I was a Christian or not, the, the answer was always yes, because that's what Armenians are. And if you know a little bit of, you know, geopolitics and stuff like that, you'll realize that um, we're surrounded by Muslim nations for the most part. Iran to the south, Azerbaijan um, to, the, to the east. Uh, yeah, and uh, Turkey to the west, and um, and Georgia's up north. Georgia is a country, by the way, for you Americans who don't know geography very well. <laughs> um, they have great food, and um, so like that's just a part of your identity. It was a part of my identity. Um, when I was about seventeen years old, I, I started questioning the existence of God. I started questioning morality, kind of the purpose of existence in life. Like, what's the point of all these things? I didn't know at the time. I later on found out that this is like normal amongst uh, folks, but especially folks who tend to be a little more philosophically minded. Uh, and um, and through that, I started researching different religions, reading religious texts. I uh, eventually ended up with reading the Quran and being really attracted to that, which was really weird because, you know, it's Armenians just have always been at odds with Muslims. Mm -hmm. And, um, but through that, I ended up with a new Testament in my hand. I don't want to go into too much detail there, but I went, I went to a conference, not a conference, but I went to like a crusade. They gave me a new Testament. I went home, read one of the gospels that night. And I was like, this is just very different than everything else been, I've been reading. Started going to church with some of my friends uh, that had invited me to that event. And, um, Ended up becoming Christian about, I don't know, a month and a half after that, when the gospel was clearly presented to me. But it, during that time, and even afterwards, I mean, until today, I would argue that I've been 
researching, studying, stu- just looking into different worldviews. Uh, that hasn't stopped. Like I became a Christian, it didn't just stop. I've continued doing that because I think the gospel's for the world. I think that I think that God loves the world and wants people to come to know Him. And if I'm going to be a good representative for God, um, I want to understand what it is that people believe to the best of my abilities, and then be able to present my Christian worldview to them. Well, so that's a little bit about me. Yeah, that's um, it's super important to understand different worldviews. And I, I think you've said, you said a few things that a lot of people experience where, you know, you grow up in a Christian culture and it, because you're in a Christian culture, you somehow assume that you're a Christian um, and completely ignoring the fact that you have to choose to be a Christian. You know, you have to put your faith in Christ. And until you're presented the gospel, I remember when I first learned what the gospel was, I was like, how has nobody told me this? You know, like, how, I, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I heard it for the first time at a sales event. So uh, now I do the, uh, the Sunday church services, but, you know, at, at some of our sales conferences, people would do church services and the guy who was running it, so he's pretty sound, sound dude. And that was the first time that I really heard the gospel. And it was between that and I was taking some college classes at Hillsong. I didn't even know what Christians really believed, you know, until I I stepped outside of a church scenario and got into like the, the college classes and went to the mm. sales conference and hear, hear somebody preaching the gospel. And I'm like, wait, wait, so that's it? That's all? That's all that you got to do is like put your faith in Christ. I thought it was this whole laundry list of 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 steps you got to take, you know, because I as a kid was, um, you know, my, my father, who's an atheist, he still made us go to um, uh, these. Oh, wow. My camera just just went out. It's incredible. Well, you get you're frozen really good. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least it's a good it's a good frozen Thing. Give me yeah, one that sec. Would be, that would be a good thumbnail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Give me one sec. <laughs> what is, what is this guy talking thing? about? Today is insane, ladies and gentlemen. This is just something else. This has been very interesting. All right. You okay. guys can see what my seat looks like. I don't know what that was, but uh, anyway, back to back to the conversation. I... <sighs> um. My, my father made us, you know, go to Catholic church when we were younger because my, my grandmother was a, a devout Catholic. But then, you know, when she passed away, after we went through all of like the, the things, that was it. We didn't talk about God. We didn't, uh, my father never really spoke about God, Jesus, none of that. But I could have convinced myself that I was a Christian, you know, because I grew up around uh, other people who went to the church and didn't live Christ-like lives. And, uh, but you had that experience on like a whole other level because Armenia is the first Christian nation. You know, people say America is a Christian nation, not in the way that Armenia is a Christian nation, you know? Yeah. So, Armenia is a Christian culture, uh, I would say. Uh, yeah. Armenians, right? It's not just like, oh, we're a nation that identifies as that's like the culture. Um, the, the other thing is that I didn't mention is that I was born and raised in the Holy See of the Armenian Apostolic Church. Uh, so uh, for those who don't know, like consider the Vatican, like where the Pope is. 
um, the town I'm from called Echmiatzin. Um, and uh, literally the name of the town, Echmiatzin, means uh, descended the only begotten. Like, just to give you an idea, right? Or the descending of the only begotten. Um, so the, the head of the Armenian Apostolic Church is uh, called the Katholikos. And, um, and like, I was like five minutes, 10 minutes walking distance from that church. This is, this church is one of the oldest churches in, in Armenia. And uh, again, it's the mother seat. It's like, that's like, that's it. Uh, that is the Vatican. And so a lot more even considering the town. Yeah. But now you have to realize I was born in 1985 and Armenia was under communist rule. And uh, even with that, my parents are originally from Iran. They moved to Armenia in 1984. And even with the communist rule, even with like 70 years of communism, that Christianity, that's why I say Armenia is a Christian culture. Armenians, uh, being an Armenian is like, it's infused in your culture, just like not your nation. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. You're Armenian, you're a Christian, essentially. Um, and th that's very interesting it creates a very interesting dynamic as to how you think about faith what it looks like what even takes place when somebody becomes a believer of the non-apostolic sort so for plenty of armenians being a protestant like me being a protestant for plenty of armenians that's like a betrayal of my nation and my identity mm -hmm. right and and it's like no no i actually follow jesus and the bible and here's why and i know theology a lot better than you do and i read the bible a lot more than you do and i actually follow jesus i don't just identify like you do like i used to but you're still seen as like some kind of you went like the western route or something like that you went you're following the americans and the british and stuff you know you've been you've been corrupted with um Correct. thinking with thinking for yourself <laughs> but um so it's it's interesting though um how you feel that you have a, a deeper connection, obviously, than many people who just grew up in the Christian culture, which I true I totally have a deeper connection with Christ than many of my friends who think that they're Christian just because they, you know, went to church when they were younger. And the that connection is something that's like inexplainable. Like you, unexplainable you can't explain what that connection actually feels like but it took it took a, a lot of wrestling for me to to understand it you know wrestling in my mind because I was pretty agnostic uh, borderline atheist and it wasn't until I started digging into different worldviews like yourself I'm very interested in other worldviews super interested in them and it wasn't until digging into the truth claims that all these different worldviews made and then I compared those truth claims to the ones made in the Christian faith and and that's kind of what brought me over the uh, over the fence you know which which was I just think that this really makes sense Christianity so yeah how did you go from like just breaking off from your culture to uh, yeah. you know really digging in for yourself and not just accepting you know what the culture says and really making that that decision that one-on-one -on -one, you and Jesus decision yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's, it's, it was the Bible. Uh, ultimately, it was my study of the Bible. And, um, and oh, I should clarify something that's very important, uh, just so any Armenian that ends up watching this video might think. Um, I wouldn't say I've broken off from my culture. I actually think 
what I've done is that I'm practicing Christianity the way our ancestors intended Christianity to be practiced. Um, and I think what's ended up happening is that we've turned it more into a cultural institution rather than the institution it's supposed to be, which is uh, started by Jesus and brought to our lands by the apostles. Um, so people understand us right, right? Um, that's extremely important. So I, I started studying the Bible and, and, and that became the foundation of it. And then because I naturally had a desire, like you were saying, like I started going to my family and telling them like, hey, did you know, <laughs> like I found out this information, <laughs> right? Like, did you know Jesus died for our sins? <laughs> and, and people would look at me like I'm just really stupid. And maybe I was, but they would say, yeah, like that's, that's why he's up on the cross. <laughs> And then, I was, I, and then I would get angry because I was like, how come you guys haven't told me this? Like, I'm 17. <laughs> I've been to church a million times. Now, uh, you got to understand something about Armenian uh, church, uh, the, the apostolic church. Uh, usually the, the mass that's held, uh, called the Patarak, uh, it, it is, um, it's done in song form and it's done in like classical Armenian. So it's hard to understand. Uh, because we don't speak like that anymore. And then when you don't know the Bible, it's even worse. Mm. Like now I can go in the church service and listen because I know the Bible and it makes sense and understand, right? But like people would just be like, yeah, man, obviously, like, duh. And, and, and so it would frustrate me, like, what? Don't you guys care? Like, people going to hell, man. Like, <laughs> that, that was just really interesting, right? And But I naturally just had a heart to tell other people that their salvation so I started evangelizing. I think somebody asked, like, like, clarify about, like, could you please clarify God loves the world? What I mean by that is that I think um, that God wants people to come to know him. He loves the world like the Bible says he loves the world, that he sent his only begotten son um, to die for the sins of the world. Let's put it that way, you know. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. So um, I started doing that. But when you do that, you get confronted by people's questions and comments um, and I realized that I wasn't as knowledgeable in theology and scripture. I started doing street ministry with a couple of uh, guys who became mentors and just really, really good in my life, which led me to study apologetics. Um, and then I realized, wow, this is a whole world. Like this, this is not only good for my evangelism, but it strengthens my faith. And I really enjoy this stuff. Uh, then I went off to Bible college and then I did, um, I did my graduate work in um, in philosophy at a Christian seminary, uh, Biola University. Studied with some like really awesome and, and well-known apologists and was able to glean and learn from them. But the, awesome. behind this all, I always tell people apologetics without evangelism is useless. Um, and that might be a bit too harsh to say that. that but um, at the end of the day, we do this, we give reasons, as Peter says, right? To give a reason or a defense for the hope that is in you. You're giving it to people who don't agree with you. Even though I think there is a, like I mentioned, uh, one of the things that apologetics will do is strengthen your own faith, um, clear things up for you. Yeah, so just because I like recommending books. Um, there's a really good book and it's, a, it's not a very difficult read. It's called The Kingdom Triangle here. Uh, by Dr. J.P. Moreland, uh, who was uh, one of my professors. And um, 
it, what I love about this book is that he, the three things he goes through, the reason why it's called the Kingdom Triangle, is the recovery of the Christian mind, the renovation of the soul, which is essentially discipleship and spiritual formation, and then re- a restoration of the Spirit's power, uh, which is essentially that uh, the Holy Spirit is still at work and does all sorts of really cool stuff in our midst. Um, I like it because I feel like it's a holistic apologetics book. It doesn't just deal with arguments for God's existence. One of the things he says in this book is that apologetics has two tasks. One is to clear up questions and concerns from unbelievers. And the other one is to strengthen your own faith. And I think that's a pretty good way of putting it. Yeah, definitely. I, um, in, my, in my journey, I came to, to faith through apologetics. You know, I had people inviting me to church. I was doing the, the college at the Hillsong church in in new york city i was i was like into it i was trying to figure things out you know but diving into apologetics really helped me understand things up until i discovered apologetics i didn't think christians had a leg to stand on you know like (laughs) i just i just didn't and then william lane craig was was one of the um was one of the key people and i feel for a lot of people it is um he is but I watched him debate some of these atheists that I really respected. And I was like, man, he's mopping the floor with these dudes. And he makes sense. So then, you know, I'm looking into what he's saying because I'm not just taking it on face value. I'm digging into what he's saying. And I'm like, man, this is legit. What he's saying is legit. So apologetics helps. But for those who are listening, who may not even know what apologetics is, break down what it is. Sure. Yeah. I, apologetics is one of those funny words, right? Um, I like the thumbnail that you put out. Apologize to apologetics. And uh, plenty of Christians ought to. Um, but uh, it's one of those words that we just get from the Greek. It's like brought in. And we get this in a lot of words. Think about the word psychology. Comes, it's, it's, it's made up of two Greek words. Logos, uh, which is the study of or reasoning through. Um, and then the psyche, right, which would be your mind. Well, apologetics, if, if you can catch it in there, is has the Greek word apologia in there. Logia, logos, right? Like, um, and the idea there, again, is reasoning, defending. Um, it could mean a bunch of different things, uh, but almost always it's used within the, like, intellectual kind of uh, realm. So apologetics, very simply put, is the defense of the Christian faith. Now, well, Christian apologetics would be the defense of the Christian faith. Apologetics would just be defense or reason. So we'll talk about, usually Christians have done their apologetics. And then now, in the English language, you're going to get other people, you know, with that qualifier. You know, Islamic apologetics, for example. Mm-hmm. And you get the point there. Uh, that they're defending their uh, their worldview, their faith. So that's what apologetics is, is giving a reason. Uh, as opposed to, uh, there's another word, which is a more offensive tool, you could say, the word polemics, um, which is, again, like I said, offensive. So it would be me sitting there and criticizing, say, new age, the new age system or worldview, and saying this, this, and this don't make sense. You need to explain it further or give me reasons to believe it. But apologetics is a defensive kind of, you could think about it in a, as a defensive stance. 
Yeah. It's, um, you explained it beautifully. And I love the, the word breakdown. Uh, this is why you're one of my favorites. Um, but so apologetics for me, when I first listened and, and got into it and started reading these books, I, um, I got kind of upset because I'm like, why, why, has, why did I have to go digging for this? You know, and this mm. kind of brings us to the to the topic at hand, you know, apologizing to apologetics. I found all this stuff and I'm like, thank God I'm I'm a researcher. Thank God I'm somebody who, you know, hears something and I'm like, ah, let me let me go look into that. I'm not just gonna take that on, on face value. If I didn't have that personality trait, I would have never found apologetics. Right? I just wouldn't have. I mean, I was going to Hillsong in New York City. You really mm-hmm. there wasn't really too much apologetics going on there they they needed to apologize a lot but um you know that's not to take away from the evening classes that nathan finocchio was doing he did an incredible Mm job um but why do you think that this isn't more prevalent in the church and and why do you think it should be i know why it should be because i i wish i knew this back then uh it took me so long to wrestle through these things and I, i wish i just had somebody that would sit down with me when I was first questioning Christianity and be like, yeah, man, this is why this, this is why that, blah, blah, blah. So why do you think it's just not in the forefront of what we do? Well, yeah, right. Like then uh, we have to maybe qualify that question a little bit more. Like why is it that American evangelicals have an issue with this? Okay. Yep. Right. Like, um, and I think maybe one of the best explanations I've heard, uh, kind of the reasoning why uh, we got to go, some of us have to go searching after apologetics is actually another book that it was one of the first apologetics books I read was Love Your God With All Your Mind by uh, J.P. Moreland again. Um, And amazing book. And um, in that book, in the beginning chapters, he he actually traces a historical reasoning for it. Mm. Okay. So in America, we had the first great awakening, right? Like, so we're talking 17, 1800s. Uh, we have the first great awakening and then we have the second great awakening. These are revivalist uh, tent revival meetings. I think a lot of us are very familiar with them, right? Um, evangelists going out there and preaching all across uh, the United States. People come to faith and Europe. But the second great awakening, the first one seems like it was it was really good. The second great awakening seems to, seems to have not been as good. Not in the sense of people not coming to faith, but like discipleship being done. So maybe a lot of people became, came, became Christians, but they weren't really discipled. Um, what ends up happening is through these movements, there's a lot of inde- independent kind of self-proclaimed preachers and evangelists that uh, maybe without the proper education end up like influencing the church and culture. And by the early 1900s, we see a sort of split happen in the church. And you see this maybe one of the best ways you see this is in the Presbyterian Church. But the academic sort, um, mainline denominations start going liberal. And when I say liberal, I mean theologically liberal. Okay. So the social gospel movement, for example, like the gospel is for taking care of social issues and stuff like that, takes off. Well, when that happens, you get what is what we call fundamentalism, right? The fundamentalists split from this stuff and they go, no, you guys aren't preaching the gospel, X, Y, and Z. One of the 
bad parts of the fundamentalists splitting away is that they actually split away from the college system, the university system. They kind of become their own, you know, thing. And then they start their own Bible colleges and they don't want to go the direction that all these uh, folks went in regards to uh, theological liberalism. I don't want to go into all the details, but like German higher criticism is involved in this and liberal theology coming out of Germany and, and all, all sorts of stuff. But because of that, there's some kind of like an intellectual break in American evangel evangelicalism where the churches are, for some reason, start saying like, just have faith, like faith is redefined. Um, it is not like a reasonable belief or something like that. Faith becomes just like this leap in the dark or this trust uh, of, of sorts without any evidence. And then when it comes to like doing theology and then doing um, doing philosophical theology or apologetics, it just kind of goes slowly into the back um, in the into the background. So then we get a, we get churches that come in that most of us probably got saved in some kind of a fundamentalist or influenced by fundamentalist churches um, and these things aren't just spoken about and so therefore we don't have access to it like we got to go searching for it so that that's at least a historical reason as to what's taken place by the way it's not only that it's taken place but it's taking place mm. some of it is like they try to justify this stuff by the bible like oh look scripture says uh you know uh, we didn't try to convince you by uh you know worldly philosophies or something like that and say, like, oh no that you can't do that you can't think that way uh because all you need is faith so uh, it's so kind of like an overcorrection almost um, correct yeah absolutely yeah that's that's very interesting um so since i'm you know i'm only i consider myself a real baby in christ only 10 years uh into it and <laughs> only taking it seriously like five years there's so many people that are like so so much smarter than me so much so further ahead than me and i'm just like man i wish i could matrix you know just plug in the the mm -hmm. matrix and i mean elon's working on that so yeah uh, i got to do it but whatever um, <laughs> yeah. I, I got i got some opinions on that um yeah me look too. i think that's the case for all of us like uh now i've been a christian for became a christian in 2003 so this year will be 20 years that i've been a christian most of that time been in ministry education all that stuff i feel I, like sometimes i sit there and i'm like dude i wish i could plug into like william lane craig's brain and you know or mind they'd he get mad at me and so would jp Moreland uh, if i said brain is mind uh, <laughs> and just down, download all the stuff these guys these guys know uh, what i'm trying to say is uh, especially when people watch these things they go oh man look at these guys they're articulate and this and that it's like everybody's got that Everybody, like wherever you are in your maturity, there's someone to be like, oh, man, I wish I was like this guy, which is great because that's what discipleship should be like, right? Like we should strive towards like growth and maturity, encouraging one another on into these things. Um, and then there's just sometimes for most of us, we're really good at certain parts uh, in our lives and then not so good at other lives, right? Uh, for me, um, Prayer has always been a struggle, like sitting down and praying for like 30, 40 minutes. And I got friends who are like, dude, like they'll, they'll sit down and pray for an hour and that's great, but they won't read a book. So everybody's got stuff that they're working on and, and, and developing in Christ. That's, that's interesting. I, I'm kind of the same way. I could read a book. I could read the Bible for 
you know, hours straight, two hours, no problem. Don't even need a, a, a blink break. Um, yeah. But, you know, praying, it, it's the same thing. And my mind just, it's like it wants to go back to reading. It wants to go Correct. back to, to learning. And I I always feel so much better after I, you know, pray. And I pray throughout the day. But that whole sitting there for, this is why I wasn't good at the new age. You know, I couldn't meditate. <laughs> you know, God. Just, yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I've realized helps me is whenever I pray after I read, mm. um, my mind just is, is scattered if um, if I don't give it reason to, to kind of focus. So I'll do my devotional reading and then I pray after my devotional reading. And that's a lot more focused. I'm talking to God, actually, rather than just mumbling words into the into the air. Amen. Yeah, I find myself uh, after after everything that I read, I sit there and I, I wrestle with it. And I also ask God, like, hey, give me clarity on, on what what I just read. And I kind of just zone out and think about everything that I just read. But thinking of it from a posture of, uh, like, conversation with God, you know, thinking of it like, hey, reveal yep. to me. Help me, help this imprint into my mind. Help me to learn this stuff. Uh, show me where yeah. I'm, uh, I'm missing something, you know, and, and conversations like that. So how do you think we can, we can influence people to get more into apologetics? Because you and I, this is something that we do naturally because we're, we're like, we're tinkerers. Like, oh no, I need to know how this works. I need to know how that works. How does this boom, boom, boom. But not everybody is like that. Some people are the, you know, just have faith. Yeah, I don't, they don't need to hear a single argument for God's existence. They're good. They will never, they will never um, change their mind. They're Christians for life, you know. But yeah. why, why is it so important? That, for that's even, fine, right? Like, yeah. I, I, yeah, uh, well, that's really good for you, but you're probably a pretty lousy evangelist as well. <laughs> so how, why is yes, it good yeah. for people to learn apologetics regardless? And just basics. I always tell people, if you got a good seventh grade reading level, that's where most people are at anyway. Anything that I, any video that I make, any speech that I give, anything that I write, my new book that I came out, that I'm coming out with, I try to write it at like a seventh grade reading level so yeah. everybody could comprehend it. You know, so why do you think it's important for everybody to at least learn a little bit of apologetics? Well, first and foremost, because scripture commands us to. Yes, sir. Right, like, so we start there. Uh, we have to start that when Peter is talking, and, and Peter's talking uh, uh, in regards to some, like, um, <clears throat> There's no occasion. So Peter is addressing the situation. Like, hey, you guys are being persecuted. There's suffering going on. He says, honor Christ, the Lord as holy in your lives. Like the, the way he starts this off is worship, right? Honor Christ as holy in your hearts, always being prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness and respect. And uh, so there's a couple of things I'd like to point out in that passage. Uh, he says, always be prepared. Well, right. Uh, for any one of us who've done, who've, whatever it may be that we've done, business, school, whatever, to be prepared is one thing, to always be prepared is something else, mm. right? It's the player who's sitting on the bench who's always got to be prepared to go in there and get going. Because maybe that's like the 10 minutes you have and the 10 minutes that the team needs you. Like you got you to gotta work really hard at that. Just because you're on the bench doesn't mean you're not important. But it's that always preparation. And so the question I ask is, well, how, how does someone prepare themselves for whatever people might, whenever people might come and tell us, 
What's the reason for the hope that you have? Well, then the way you prepare yourself is by reading and talking and studying and thinking um, and searching through the word of God and praying, worshiping. Like it's, it's all inclusive. So when somebody says, I'm good, I go, that's great. For your own faith, you're good. But if somebody asks you, why do you have the hope that you have, telling them how you became a Christian and telling them why uh, you are a Christian might not be good enough. Because mm. you they're not asking you why you are a Christian. They're asking you why they should become a Christian. Yeah, uh, our, testimonies are, our testimonies are definitely important. But uh, for me, I, I never really cared about somebody's testimony. You know, it it's just the way that I was in in the mindset that I was in prior to yeah. my life with Christ. I don't care. You, oh, yeah. Christ did this for me. He changed my life. I stopped drinking. I stopped smoking. I stopped doing this. I'm like, well, why would you want to stop doing that? You yeah. Know? Or like the- <laughs> good for you. You had that problem. And yes. I don't. Yeah. It's always interesting to me that when we come across uh, like we elevate testimonies of that sort, a vast majority of people that I know don't have any of those issues. That, again, just maybe my surroundings. Now, no, I know a lot of people that do. I probably met more drug addicts being in the church than outside the church. And that's just, an, that's, that's an yeah. important point to make uh, of, you know, everybody's always uh, searching for the, the rags to riches story. You know, the, the, wow, his life was so jacked up and blah, blah, blah. Your testimony is important regardless of uh, if you were such a horrible person and then now you're you're doing so much better in christ yeah. or if you were a crit i you have no idea how much i love hearing the testimonies of people who have been in christ since they were teenagers i'm like man mm-hmm. if i could rewind my life and just like go see myself and slap them up real quick and be like hey man put that down go pick up a bible and go pay attention you know i i wish i could just do that and yeah. i know everybody's testimony is different but that's an honorable thing. You know, we talked to uh, Dylan in our group, uh, in a, and he's a 22-year-old kid that's just on fire for the Lord. And I'm like, man, when I was 22, I was probably literally on fire. Like, not, you know? <laughs> so, Somewhere in some corner. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I know the advantages of that. Like, I became, I became a believer when I was 18. And uh, I wish I had become a man. I wish I was a believer in in high school. I would have lit it up. But um, I, 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 I mean, I, I got to do plenty of stupid stuff up to the point of, uh, you know, being 18. But again, when it comes to somebody coming up to you and saying, why are you a Christian? Um, they're essentially saying, why should I become a Christian? Right. Um, give me some reasons. And telling them, your testimony might be really good, but then they might look at you like I do and say, well, that's nice, but I know Buddhists that are like that. And I know Muslims that are like that. That doesn't mean Buddhism and Islam are true. There's atheists who are just completely fine. If you're, if we, if we make the gospel about like how people have ruined their lives and then Christ can fix their lives, it completely excludes people who have not ruined their lives. They're doing just fine. Uh, They're not divorced 18 times. You know, they're, They've been married. They've been married for 40 years. They got kids. Kids respect them. They got successful businesses. Like, things are fine. And what are you going to say to this guy? No, no, it's not fine. No, because Scripture doesn't speak about it like that. The way Scripture speaks about it is that we're all sinners and we all need salvation. And here's what it is. We are all equal in that state. 
in regards to how bad we are as sinners, you know, that changes in LA's, but that doesn't change the fact that we're all sinners. Um, what Christians need to do is give reasons for the adequate, the adequate reasons for the people that they're talking to. Mm. Right. And there's different categories of people we can put them in. Uh, we can put people in and, uh, and then just give it reasons and responses as to why they should become Christians. Apologetics aids you and guides you in this. Apologetics is a tool. So when somebody says, like, why should I study apologetics? I ask them, don't you want as many tools as possible to do evangelism? Or do you just think you don't need it? And if, if somebody says, no, I don't think I need it, then my question is, why? Why do you think you don't need it? And then we'll go through that. And, uh, you know, every once in a while, I get someone who tells me they don't need it. And after talking to them for 15 minutes, we realize that they need it quite a bit. <laughs> I think they're people just, just don't realize. Yeah, they don't realize. Yeah, they're not aware of it. I like how you how you put it. You know, it's a tool, and and you want to have as many tools as you can because every job isn't the same. You know, yeah, exactly. And so you you got to use different things. For I used to be an electrician. You know, I I don't need a jackhammer all day. You know, but if I got to get a pipe through the floor. Uh, I might need it, you know, I might need the the, um, the concrete saw or something. It, each job has uh, different tools that you need, but our job is to is to get the job done, you know. I mean, it's the Holy Spirit's job to get the job done, but, you know. He but, but again, it us. comes down to, it comes down to scripture telling us to be prepared. Yes. I, I also like that analogy you said, you know, the person on the bench is not useless. It, even if he just plays for 10 minutes, those 10 minutes could win the game. And if That's you right, just yeah. if you just spent ten minutes um, studying apologetics, uh, you know, once a week, you'd be more equipped to get in the game when you're needed. One of the worst things that happens to me is when I'm having a conversation about God, and usually they go very well, just because um, they, you know, the people I speak to usually have a pretty good temperament. I have a good temperament. We can disagree without wanting to chop each other's heads off, mm -hmm. right? But even in, in good conversations like that, sometimes I'll get stumped, right? And then later on, I'll find such an easy answer to the question. And I'm like, man, if I just had that, which I know God also uses those situations to, to help you go learn. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so you go digging for the answer and, and then you learn how to find it. You could teach somebody else to find it. So I understand that. But in yeah. the moment, I'm like, man, I've... I wish I was prepared for that. And I don't like to put too much weight on people like, hey, if you're not prepared, that's somebody's soul at risk. Ah, you, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not it. But it's just, it's important. Well, look, to God, God is ultimately responsible for people coming to faith. Uh, yes. Right. Like that's, trust me, I figured that out long ago. Yeah. And you don't want that kind of uh, guilt on you. I've had it yeah. on me. And, um, What was I going to say? Just had a. Mm. It escaped me. It'll come back. Go yeah, ahead. It'll it'll come it'll come back when 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 we end it, and you're like, ah, I knew it. <laughs> but um, all right. So, what are some basic apologetics that you think people should learn? I I remember one of the biggest ones for me that really um really helped me was the beginning of the universe, like understanding mm. that. A whole lot of evidence points to there being a beginning of the universe and even now people are saying yeah well you know quantum physics changed it look 
even in quantum physics, just because time works differently doesn't mean time doesn't exist. Quantum physics is the study of something physical. So, you know, all space, time and matter came into existence at the same point, the singularity. Like that for me was big because I was, uh, you know, when you're studying Buddhism and and Hinduism and and New Age spirituality, they believe in, you know, pantheism and that, that the universe is eternal. And I'm just like, well, no, it's not. You know, so I, I can kind of cancel those out because if you're claiming that that you have the truth of the universe and it doesn't line up, like there's an overwhelming uh, amount of evidence for the beginning of the universe. So if it doesn't line yes. up with that, uh, you know. Yeah, so even are, at the very least, some kind of a contingent thing. Look, here's what I would say. Again, going back to that tools analogy, if we want to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've, uh, I did construction for, for a summer and... Um, work with these guys like these guys are like amazing uh construction guys and uh you just you want your toolbox or tool belt to have a bunch of stuff in there so you're not always running downstairs and getting all that stuff so i would say even in the conversations you're having with people have a couple of different things available to you and have a plan a lot of people don't have plans when they get they, they don't have a plan when they get into a conversation with someone when it comes to evangelism a lot of people it's a surprise that somebody even asked them a question. For me, I think you should be prepared to engage in such a way where the individual in front of you asks a question. Okay? Uh, So, whatever, you're at school and one of your classmates is wearing a backpack that says, um, women have rights to. Now, what I would do is just very simply ask them, wow, that's really cool. I agree with you. But why do you think that's the case? Now, you might sit there and say, how is that going to end up in talking about Jesus? It will if you navigate the conversation properly. So, for example, a conversation like that, and I'm just coming up with this on the spot. A conversation like that would immediately take me to something like, you're right, women do have rights because all people have rights because all people are made in the image of God. And we can talk about God. And then that will naturally take us to a number of places, uh, depending on where the person is. If the person's a complete atheist, then I might give them one or two arguments for God's existence. Um, I think uh, arguments that you can memorize quickly and articulate yourself well and understand well, and even know the objections towards, knowing an argument is not good enough. You have to know the objections towards that argument and the responses to those argument, uh, those objections. Mm-hmm. A lot that's of people a, will sit key. down. Yeah, a lot of people will sit down and watch William Lane Craig, right? William Lane Craig will, uh, any debate you watch will Bill Craig. He's going to give you five arguments, okay? He's going to start with a Kalam cosmological argument. He's going to give you an argument for morality. He's going to give you an argument from the resurrection or miracles. Uh, he's going to give you an experiential kind of sort of argument. At the end, he'll tell people like, hey, you can go pray and ask. Um, and then maybe like some kind of a scientific design argument he's going to give you. Okay, like that would be number three. Uh, but going around and repeating what William and Craig does is not enough. William and Craig knows the objections towards those arguments and knows the responses to those objections. And we have to study those things. So I would say um, the Kalam argument is really good. I actually have the Kalam argument. This, this, is a, uh, this is a mug that has the Kalam argument on it. On it. Uh, so this is Reasonable Faith Guys gave this to me. Uh, everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Now you go, that doesn't say the cause is God. Correct. You have to do the work to get it there. Mm-hmm. So if you want help with that, you can reach out to me um, or just 
read a couple of books and watch a couple of videos. Trust me, you'll get it. Um, I would say one of my, some people like the design argument quite a bit. I'm okay with it. I'm not like, I like it, but I prefer the moral argument a lot bit, uh, a lot better because I think the conversations are a lot more, I don't know, passionate. <laughs> uh, and so the moral argument's good. I think you ought to have uh, a pretty well understanding of a historical argument for the resurrection. Facts. Uh, you, you need to know what's going on. So Dr. Gary Habermas is a really, really good uh, individual to research. If you can memorize and understand Gary Habermas's minimalist facts arguments, it's, it's going to do you so much good. I got a uh, Gary, Jesus and the eyewitnesses. The book is like this thick. Yes. Right here. I, <laughs> such an incredible, I, I was about 200 pages in and then I had to um, start reading something else for some stuff I was working on. But like so in depth and countering the, the arguments from higher criticism, it, it, he's, he's a goat. Like he is a goat he is. in that. Department. Yeah, I've sat down. Yeah, and I've had the privilege of sitting down with uh, Gary Habermas and talking to him, like in a hotel room for two hours, just the two of us. Wow. And <laughs> he's a phenomenal man. Like you just you don't want to stop. Like the conversation is is so good and rich. Like it just it's awesome. You just did a book review actually, um, on our never enough faith to be an atheist by Norm yes. Geisler and Frank Turek. I've read that book three times. It's incredible. And I've taught my church group, Friday night youth group, I've taught them through that book. Um, with these all, with these, uh, I would say you should probably also read a book uh, by Gregory Kokel called, called Tactics, because that's a book that will help you um, in preparing yourself in regards to engaging people. So you're that not going to go and get a lot of book. content. Yeah, mine too. By the way, I met Greg Kokel. I've talked to him and I told him that's, that book's helped me in marriage. I think he should, I think he should repackage that book as a marriage um, guide. <laughs> it's like when my wife says something, I ask her a clarifying question. What do you, what do you, what mean, do you by mean by that? that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not, and that is not just to be sly. That's, I genuinely don't know what my wife means by that. <laughs> so I don't want to get into an argument. So I ask her, what do you mean by that? Um, and I told him this and he, he had a blast. I was like, I'm dead serious. It's, it's helped my life, not just, it's helped the way I talk to my friends. It's not just the evangelism kind of thing. It, it's generally good for you, but it will help you in that as well. It's communication um, skills. What else? It's, yeah, exactly. It is. It is communication skills. Uh, so, Kalam so, argument, some kind of a moral or, or um, argument on uh, design and things of like that. So, resurrection argument. I would say, know how the Bible came to be, like the canonicity of the Bible, how it was compiled, what happened. You have to know some dates and stuff like that, right? Like uh, when things were written, who wrote it, historical data. These are things that come up. I met a guy one time, uh, and he said to me that uh, uh, he thought King James had translated the Bible into English himself. And it's just like he's factually wrong. And I know he's factually wrong because I know how that translation came to be. And when I explained it to him, he said, man, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, I was just repeating something my professor had said. <laughs> like, I appreciate the man's honesty. Yeah. That's really cool. But if I didn't know the info, the appropriate information, then he would have just gone on believing wrong stuff. Because some professor had actually said that in a classroom. And hey, it's a professor. He must know what he's talking about. Well, no, he doesn't. 
Um, and so knowing things like this are just going to be very beneficial to you. It helped me so much uh, because I, I, I thought the same thing, you know, not about the King James, but just about the, the, <laughs> the way the New Testament was compiled, you know, that whole Council of Nicaea thing and, and believing that, yeah, they picked the books of the Bible there and, and just, oh, it's been corrupted over time. It's it, like all of these arguments where I'm, I'm just repeating memes, essentially. You know, mm -hmm. you, you see it on a meme and you just repeat it. And you're like, yeah, word, the, the game of telephone, it's definitely messed up because, you well, know. Well, I'll give, give you an example. I saw a video today that um, was a, it might have been, who put this up? It wasn't inspiring philosophy. Might have been Matt. I don't know. One, one of the guys that does apologize put it up. And it's a TikTok video of this guy saying, many people don't know this. Every time I hear, every time a video starts with many people don't know this, I'm like, it's almost as bad as God because, told me to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Um, when people tell, when people say something like many people don't know this, my immediate reaction is that's because you're about to tell me a bunch of false information. That's why many <laughs> people don't know it. I'm happy many people don't know that because what you're going to say is just nonsense. But this guy said many people don't know this, but the Bible, um, a lot of things were taken out of the Bible and compiled together in a book called the book of Enoch. And like, he goes to talk about the, like all the secrets in the book of Enoch and all this stuff. And then, you know, the Christian guy jumped in there and explained it. I was like, someone's going to watch this TikTok video and think that this is some kind of like, and they're going to come to some Christian and be like, have you ever read the book of Enoch? And some Christians going to go, no, what is that? They're going to go, oh, it's all the secret stuff that they took out of the Bible and compiled it together. Right? Like, and they're going to develop their own argument. But, People have actually said this, like they've come up to me, they're like, hey, do you know there was books taken out of the Bible? And I was like, really? Yeah. Which ones? And then they were like, oh, like the book of Enoch. I was like, I've read it. And it's like, oh, uh, the gospel, uh, the, 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 um, the gospel Thomas. of Thomas, yep. read them both. Did you know there was two of them? Oh, you didn't know there was two of them, right? Like, and when you know it, it's chess, you're ahead. It's like, okay, who took it out? When did they take out? Since you're making a positive claim, someone took these things out and compiled it, you ought to know who took it out and when. You can't just make these assertions. So you start asking and digging, you re then, then, then they realize they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Asking now, questions. Now, not everyone's it, like man. this. Yeah, but it, not everyone's like this, but the vast majority of people who have these made-up, meme-ish kind, of, uh, meme kind of arguments against Christianity because they got it from a TikTok video somewhere, it's just complete and utter nonsense. Yeah. Right. Uh, I made a video about this Muslim girl who was like really, really um, curious as to where the body of Jesus had gone. <laughs> Sorry. I um, had a friend. I had a friend ask me that too um, when when I was first on my on my uh, Christian journey, and they're like, "He's like, I don't know, bro. They still haven't found his body." And I'm like, "What? This is this yes. is." It's like when people tell me. Uh, you know, hey, I, I get this from like New Agers and mystics a lot. They'll be like, you know, religion is, is just created to keep people in control. The elites just want to control you. I'm like, yeah. what elites are you guys living with? Because my elites are trying to get rid of Christianity, you know? So what yeah. what are you talking about? What, Who are these elites? Yeah, because I don't, are we living in the same world? You know, if this was the 1600s, maybe. Maybe you could tell yeah. me that and I'll, I'll believe it. But, bro, we're in 2023. They're literally ripping 
Christianity from every institution that you could think of. They want nothing to do with it. Why? What elites are we talking yeah. about here? At least in the United States, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, it's just, but all that is all preparation. It takes work. It takes time. It takes effort uh, for you to sit down and read, uh, say, these, these pseudopigraphas, right? Um, so you're able to articulate yourself. But then I look at it and I go, well, why did, you, why did we ever think evangelism was going to be easy? Mm. Like, where, where is this re- written that you're just going to... It's like, oh, they'll pull out the, you know, a passage here and there um, and be like, look, the Holy Spirit will teach you or the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance or something like that. I'm like, yeah, correct. Bring to your remembrance. That means you've put some work in there. Yeah. Right. Like you've done something and then he, he will help you and guide you in that. Um, and then when you look at people in the Bible, it's like you realize that Paul was an extremely educated individual. Because, well, the disciples weren't educated. No, but in the book of Acts, even their own opponents say, these men are unlearned, but they knew they had been with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I tell the folks, do you know what it would have been like to sit under the teaching of Jesus for three years? Like, you're talking about a college education. We go and get degrees for four years, and we're not sitting with our professors every single day mm-hmm. for four years. Do you know what it would mean? Like, let's just give an example. I'll, I'll just name a, I'll name drop here, okay? Uh, just so, because I want to make a point. So four professors, the, the, these are the professors I had when I went to seminary. Um, Dr. J.P. Moreland, uh, Dr. Douglas Guyvitt, uh, Robert Doc- Douglas Guyvitt. If you don't know him, look him up. Uh, Dr. Gary DeWeese, who's retired now. Um, Dr. Tim Pickavance, he's a newer up-and-coming uh, Christian philosopher and thinker, brilliant guy in metaphysics and epistemology. Um, and Dr. Scott Ray. Scott Ray is an ethicist, has written a bunch of books on medical ethics and stuff like that. If I spent three years, not even just one of these guys, like every day for five days with each one of them, do you understand the kind of individual I would be? Just being discipled like that. I learned a great deal from them. And I didn't just learn information, by the way. I learned Bible study habits, how they treat their kids and spouses, and uh, the way they raise their kids. Like, I've just learned life from them because I would go to office hours and meet with them and talk with them. Jesus' disciples got to hang out with them every single day for three years. The most brilliant man to ever walk the planet. I don't know if anybody's thought about Jesus that way. You should. Jesus is the smartest philosopher of all time. Uh, Dallas Willard, uh, the very famous Christian philosopher, would say this regularly. Uh, You think Socrates was brilliant and Aristotle was brilliant and Plato was brilliant. Jesus was more brilliant than these guys. If some people don't look at Jesus as a philosopher, uh, they should. Um, He is that and more. And so they hung out with Jesus every single day and were discipled and taught by him. That's why those opponents around them were able to recognize them as even though they weren't formally educated, unlearned is the way that uh, scripture puts it, but they had been with Jesus. Like, I wonder if people can say that about us. Mm. Like, oh yeah, that guy doesn't have a formal education, but he's been with Jesus. Like, I know people who don't have formal educations, but they are just been amazing students of the Word of God. And just generally, that has led them to be amazing students. They're extremely articulate, 
well-rounded folks. You don't need a college degree, right? Like plenty of us have college degrees that are completely useless. Uh, that is very clearly the case. Uh, you don't get, just because you graduated college doesn't mean you're intelligent. Just because you went and got an official degree in something doesn't mean you're intelligent. That, I think that's very simply observable. I had a, read, when I graduated high school, I had read three and a half books, all four years of high school. I read three and a half books. I read half The Great Gatsby. I didn't like it very much. Um, and I had the reading level of a eighth grader. I, mind you, I learned English as a second language when I was 11, 12 years old. By the time I got the language down, I was like 13. Um, what got me into reading was the Bible. I became a Christian. I started reading the Bible. Then I started reading about a bunch of, I started reading a bunch of books about the Bible. And then I just started reading and my reading level went up. I still read pretty slow, but that's the way it's going to go. Christians have to be intelligent individuals because God has, the scripture tells us to love them with all of our heart, mind, strength, and soul. You got to love them with our mind. We talk about the heart quite a bit. Love God with all your heart. Amen. But your strength, your whole being, your soul, and your mind, your intelligence, that's, that is, I can say, if anybody's going to walk away from this uh, with at least a small little thing, it would be, Scripture tells you to love God with all your mind. That means your intelligence. You can't check it at the door when you walk into church. You have to sit there and analyze and think and process and try to find logical uh, fallacies um, or, or not or consistency uh, in sermons. Just because the preacher is yelling really loud doesn't mean what he's saying is true. So let's be like the Bereans is what I would say, right? Paul, the scripture talks about the Bereans and the kind of individuals they are, and we ought to be like that. Yeah, the Bereans were not rebuked. Uh, <laughs> Stop thinking! <you> know. <laughs> Too much head knowledge, Bereans. No, they, they were praised for, for um, fact-checking what was being told to them. And the most important part is, you know, come to the conclusion that it's the truth, right? I th I find it so interesting that you were saying that um, that Jesus is the, the best philosopher to to have ever walked, the most intelligent philosopher to have ever walked mm -hmm. the earth. And it, it's, as I'm thinking of it, I'm like, that's because he's the answer to all philosophical questions. Well, that's you know? what he said, and that's what scripture says. Right, like, what do you think John 1, 1 is saying when it says, in the beginning was the Logos? Because what does Logos mean? Mm. Right, like, that's, John didn't invent that. That word is, John is borrowing and redefining from Greek philosophy. He's borrowing it from Plato. Plato has this understanding that the Logos is this impersonal force, this impersonal divine force that exists, and, and all things that are perfect, like, exist within it and then john says in the beginning was the logos and and, and greek thinkers would have said yeah correct mm. platonists would have said you're right in the beginning was the logos and then he says well the logos was with god and is god and then he adds this crazy component to it and he became flesh and a lot of people would have said whoa plato you're taking uh, sorry uh, john you're taking plato's ideas a bit too far because they believed anything physical was uh, imperfect 
had issues. Um, and then that's where the distinction now comes in, where Christians say, no, 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 that's just not true. But that's what he's doing. Um, the logos or the logikos, right? Like this divine reason and mind we're talking about became a man and dwelt among us and with us. Of course, he's the most intelligent person. Like, look at his ideas. Sit down and study the ideas of Jesus and tell me which ones are just like out there stupid and you got better ideas than that. I mean, the most ardent atheist I know goes around telling me on how I got to love my neighbor and be nice to people. Where'd you get this idea from? Like, who told you this? <laughs> you weren't just sitting there and just popped into your head. You're like, hey, brilliant, right? Great idea. I got to love my, my neighbor. <laughs> you didn't. And, and, and some folks came pretty close to it, I would say. Um, when you read ancient literature and stuff like that, you, people come close to it. Like, what about beyond that? Like, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Our culture has these things. Like, think about uh, one of the things I've, I've thought about quite a bit, and it's been fun, is this weak hero or the sacrificial hero that we see in, in movies or stories or whatever like that. Right? This, this hero that ends up, like, sacrificing himself or dying for the good of everyone else or to redeem everyone else. Like, where do you get that idea from? Greco-Roman culture? Like, have you studied Greco-Roman culture? Where did you get it from? Eastern culture? Like, have you studied literature from the East, like India? It's like, people, like, everyone dies. It, it's, 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 it, there's, a, there's a very famous story in Iranian um, literature. And it is about, it, it's called Rostam and Zorab. Um, it's a father and son. Um, and it, it's an epic, right? Like, think about, like, various epics in Western tradition. And in this story, uh, the, the king who has a son is separated from his son. And the king is great. Nobody can defeat him in battle. I'm paraphrasing this entire thing. Um, and nobody can defeat the king. So the son grows up and he, the son is taught to hate the king, his own father, but he doesn't know obviously that's his father. At the end of the story, he ends up challenging his father to a fight to the death. Both of them are not aware that, um, you know, the one is the father and the son. And like in this story, they, there's ways they're trying to get to them to not fight. This is your son. This is your father. The end of the story is the father kills the son. There's no good ending. There's no happy ending. There's no... Somebody runs in there last second and says, no, 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 this is your son, your beloved, do not kill him. It's sad. Plenty of stories in the East and plenty of stories in um, just pre-Christian uh, world or cultures or non-Christian ones just have very, very sad endings. Everybody in the cast is killed. They just die. And, and, and it's like, where did we get this whole redemptive kind of stuff from? Now, I'm not just saying this. You can go look at secular atheist historians who study this stuff, who will, um, who will speak about, hey, this is the Christian influence on our culture. But one of my favorite guys who recently I've come to know and read his stuff is a guy named Tom Holland, a British Greco-Roman historian. He speaks about this quite a bit. He says, man, like... I'm very Christian, even though I'm an atheist. 
So that those are the sorts of stuff I think that we could use and think and bring into our context and say, you don't even realize how Christian you are, man. Yeah. It's, um, I, I had somebody comment on, uh, I posted a, a video about this book, Jesus Skeptic. And in the mm. book, he goes through um, essentially Christians' positive impact on the world. You know, the, um, the best places to live are you know, majority Christian nations. Uh, or influence, best, yeah, Christian yeah, influence exactly. Uh, like the majority of people identify as Christian, you know, or founded on Christian values. And just uh, they commented something about how, uh, you know, it's religion's done. Thank you for some of the things you did in the past, but, you know, it's time to leave. And it makes me think, you know, I was having this discussion with my wife. Us here in the um in the states we have no idea what communism yeah. feels like you know <laughs> and since we have no idea what communism feels like we are now at the point where we think communism is a good idea right people who are have grown up under communist regimes are are dying to get out of it literally dying to get out of it and come over here to a, a free trade um capitalist society right and we are so blind to the positive impact that a capitalist society um, provides as far as you know going all the way back to the to the declaration of independence and, and the constitution and how all men are created equal where you think they got that all men are created equal thing from you know well um, they, exactly right it's like you know uh, yeah is, is that an atheistic document clearly not yeah, like they, they put not. god as the they put God as the justification for the equality of all men. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, it's very interesting to me. Uh, sorry, uh, John, but like, yeah, most of the time when we say this, and then somebody will pop out of you know left field and be like, you know, Thomas Jefferson wrote that, and Thomas Jefferson had slaves, and I'm like, look, I wasn't born in this country, and usually this happens with people who were born and raised in this country. I wasn't born in this country, but I, it seems like I know the history of this country a lot better than you do. Uh, first and foremost, the copy of the declaration we have is not the first copy they wrote. The first copy, actually, Thomas Jefferson wrote to, to free the slaves. Now, some of the states strong-armed them and had them change a, a number of things. They didn't agree on it, and then that's the way, in the sad direction it went into was that. But these individuals, at the very least, thought about paving a way in which eventually in the future these things could have been... Um, put into uh, reality, brought into reality, right? Um, and they were brilliant thinkers. They were able to articulate things in such good, succinct ways. And they take, even though not all of them were Christians, but some of them were very, very strong Christians. John Jay is, I think he was the first governor of New York. Um, uh, he outlawed slavery in New York uh, in, what was it, 1789? Something like that predominantly because of these Christian ideas. So like these are things that people should uh, should think about and do the research. I, again, I, my, my birth certificate says USSR. Uh, Armenia was under communist rule uh, of the Russian variety, and that's a thing to talk about. But um, uh, for 70 years, uh, it is not fun. It's complete and utter totalitarianism. It is not freedom and utopia and equality 
uh, at face value it is right here here's something really fun that i hate uh it's funny um and it still exists in certain circles of armenian society it's the fact that you call everyone comrade i hate this so much um so in armenia even after communism when i was going to school there we would refer to our teachers as uh, in armenian unkid which means friend right comrade means friend which like my my teacher i would refer to her as comrade last name um supposedly we're equal and stuff like that complete and utter nonsense face value everyone's a comrade everyone's equal everyone is not equal uh that that when you get a group of people or just one person ruling and reigning there's that equality is out the window when the state gets to decide uh, your value in existence uh, you are not equal and um, so there's a lot of ignorance uh, in the west and i think part of the reason why there's so much ignorance um, <clears throat> in the west about this stuff is because we are extremely poor students of history mm. almost everyone i talk to right like just just ask your friends oh man history's so boring i just it's so boring it's like then you're dumb I felt that so way what in high school, me? you know. Yeah, yeah. But but now I'm like, I'm so into it. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm Because you've grown up. <laughs> I got the I got textbooks that I read now, and I'm like, I, you couldn't get you couldn't pay me to read these things in in school, and I'm reading this thick textbooks and all of the cliff notes and every I'm reading so much because it's so interesting, but it's it's so important. What you just said there, you know, the fact that America's ignorant to history, they're not only ignorant. To, to their own history they're ignorant to yeah. world history you know they we live in such a bubble here in america and and this bubble is influenced by christianity and when this bubble of christianity bursts you're going to be like dang christians were right yeah and it, it it'll be i hope it never happens i pray it Me never too. happens um because my, it, it, it's a funny dynamic. So um, my parents have seen communism. My parents were in Iran when, uh, uh, when the revolution happened, right? So when the Ayatollah Khomeini uh, took over the Iranian government and Islamicized it, right? Uh, took it from the Shah, the king, a monarchy, a pretty like free monarchy, by the way. I talked to my parents quite a bit about what life was like in the days of the Shah, even though there was a monarchy, it was, um, it was very free in regards to cultural freedom as to the things they could do. Uh, overnight, the country became the Islamic Republic of Iran and, um, and what that's looked like. Uh, and, and, and so my parents have seen that. My parents have seen communism in Armenia. My dad traveled to uh, a number of the communist states um, in the Soviet Union um the republic uh, and including russia um and my parents have seen armenia after uh communism's fall and they've seen the united states and the freedom go talk to them sit down and talk to my dad who's not a believer by the way and just tell them hey your pick which country hmm. nostalgia will be there right my dad will sit there and be like oh man when i was young as a young man growing up in, in the 70s, right? Like in Iran, here's what it was like and all this stuff. But when you break it down in regards to opportunity, in regards to education, in regards to freedom, in regards to all the things, 10 out of 10 times it's gonna be in the United States. 
nostalgia will be there in regards to, oh, these are my people. They speak my language. Like I lived in Armenia for a year and a half recently. Like I went outside and I was like, dude, this is weird. Everyone talks this, like my language, the <laughs> language I, the, my first language, the language I grew up with, right? What I talk with my parents in, it just felt good. So, something's rich about it. But and then I like end up talking to people and sharing some ideas. And then I realized, dude, I'm very, very American. I'm like pro second amendment. And I'm like, every, every citizen should have a gun here. And like, <laughs> people are looking at me like, I'm like, <laughs> this like weird monster or something like that. I'm like, uh, okay, you, you, you guys clearly have a different political system and ideology <laughs> than I do. Yeah. I, and that comes from that. But um, America has issues, quite a bit of it. Uh, but just compare it and see which ones would you rather have. Yeah, it's it's night and day. And um, uh, by the way, especially when it comes to like socialism, communism, you might be able to compare America to other like free countries that might be doing certain things better than America. That's fine. But when it comes to socialism and communism, compare to those ones and see which one you want. Yeah, it's just it's so blatantly obvious. And, and that's how that's how, you know, Americans pay no attention because it's blatantly obvious what communism does, yet you still you still have people fighting for it here. Yeah. It's mind-blowing to me. But that's what happens when you don't study history. Yeah. And, well, and when even you worse is when Christians support this stuff. Yeah. It, well, and when you don't have a good American apologetics either, you know? <laughs> yeah. See, the, this is the, the funny thing is that when um, I have a very broad view of apologetics. Now, Maybe I should have done this in the beginning. I quoted JP Moreland in regards to what apologetics does, like the task of apologetics. It's going to help you in evangelism, and it's going to, it's going to you know, solidify your faith. It's going to make, help you believe, know what it is that you believe and why you believe it. It's going to answer quite a bit of the why questions. My definition of apologetics is more of a worldview question. Hmm. Um, I think apologetics helps you establish a worldview. Um, so what is a worldview? A worldview is the filter in which you use to see the world through. Okay. A worldview is the filter in which you use to see the world through. So when things happen, you interpret things, whatever it may be. What is that mechanism of interpretation? That thing is aided by your worldview. Okay. I'll give you an example. Say um, I'm walking down the street and... Um, somebody hits me with their car. How do I interpret this event? What just happened to me? Well, there's multiple. Let's just say I'm like a naturalist um, atheist. What happened to me? Well, some guy hit me with their car. Okay, that's great. We, that, that is exactly what happened. So why did it happen? Well, the guy wasn't paying attention. He was on his phone. That's why it happened. Yeah, but why did it happen? Right? Like now, now we're asking the question why in two different ways. Um, no reason. There's absolutely no reason why this happened. It's the guy was on his phone. He ended up hitting me, um, because he wasn't looking and this is what happened. Great. That's it. That's all you That's your worldview will give you access to that much interpretation. Uh, but I broke my leg and I will have to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life sucks to be you 
that's all your worldview will give you room to interpret. In, in like, I, I don't think I'm being facetious or mean or something like that. Literally, that's what it is. Oh, you died and you left two young children and your wife. And we will look at the situation and say, hmm, kind of sucks, man. Too bad. Stuff like that happens. Moving on. Your worldview helps you in that. Say you're a Hindu and something like this happens to you. What happened? I was walking, dude was on his phone, came and hit me. Correct. Why did it happen? The second why, right? Um, maybe I'm being punished because I committed some kind of a sin in a previous life and some kind of karmic force is repaying me for what happened here. The interpretation changes. The why changes. You died. Well, yeah, you must have done really bad stuff. And, and some folks will go as far as say, the guy who just ran you over, that's the person you had done really bad stuff to in the previous life. And this karmic folks was punishing you for that system. By the way, the karmic system is one of the most evil systems out there because oh um, you can't ever escape it. There's no grace. Everything's punishment and judgment. That's the caste it. system is just, it's disgusting. Yeah. And the caste system, when people, when, when Westerners look at the caste system and they say, oh man, this is a really bad system. Um, and then they like speak like, oh, that was karma. That was this. I'm like, you, you really do not understand the result of the don't... reason the caste system is that way is because of karma. Like, yeah. They don't, they don't equate the, the two. Yeah. It's, it's so, right. Like, so that's, that's another worldview. So that's, that's what I mean by apologetics. Like it's going to help you interpret events. If you're a Christian, you interpret those events differently. Like, it's not that you can exclude, like, you don't have to exclude the atheist kind of stuff, right? Because those are natural reasons. Dude wasn't paying attention. He hit me. I broke my leg. Or X, Y, y thing happened to me. But then there's other reasons as to, you could come to, as to why this thing happened. And yeah, maybe it could be God's discipline on you. It could be that God is going to teach you patience. It could be that various things are going to happen. It could even death in Christianity could be seen as a gracious act. Mm -hmm. But when people go, oh, that's awkward. Why would you speak like that? I tell them because my worldview is the thing that is helping me interpret the, the events. If I get rid of my worldview, do you have a worldview that is going to be better than it or robust enough to answer the questions that I have in life? why x y and z has taken place or and 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 some honest atheists will sit there and say um yeah that just sucks stuff happens deal with it if you're being logically at the same consistent time, uh, so, yeah at the same time they complain quite a bit about to god and christians about why god allows certain things to happen yeah yeah it's a it's an interesting uh paradox that they put themselves in when it uh that's why I think the moral argument is so compelling because yeah. it, you know we're just a bunch of random uh, atoms bumping into each other. Who cares? You know, who cares? Yeah. My, and look, my my car atoms bumped into your leg atoms. Yeah. Oh well, you know. Yeah. Well, then it. <laughs> I wish I could get into some of the philosophy stuff of like moral um, uh, in regards to whether we are justified in punishing people for uh, doing immoral things. We'll do if that on another. A on a, yeah, we'll we do that on another show. With, that's that's, that really sounds like fun. a good, really really fun stuff. That sounds um, like a good topic. 
But I want, I, what I was trying to say is that your apologetics is going to help you develop a worldview. And to have a robust worldview is a good thing. To have a worldview that can help you answer a bunch of questions is a really, really good thing. And I think Christianity actually provides that. Uh, we can talk about meaning. We can talk about beauty. We can talk about um, existence. Like uh, some worldviews will do a good job to a certain extent, but I think the Christian worldview does the best job. I think and apologetics will guide you in developing that. I think some sound beautiful, you know, uh, like so, some things sound beautiful. There's there's some Buddhist teachings I've heard that just sound really beautiful, you know, de detaching from uh, from everything. Uh, sounds beautiful, uh, understanding and, and accepting all of the suffering that, that comes and, and detaching from that. So, sounds beautiful. But it, to me, it just doesn't answer the questions. That you, okay, let's, let's take that idea just for a little bit. I, yeah. You probably have to go. Um, do you, how much my, do we have? We my, started my, with late. My brother's flight keeps keeps getting pushed back, so <laughs> I got plenty of time. He said, hey, "Okay, we're <laughs> we're here till like two a.m." Uh, no, yeah, no, yeah. No. You're you're ahead of me. It's late. Um, let's take that. Okay, detachment and suffering and all that stuff. The way Buddhism explains it, a nirvana reaching kind of stuff. Correct. Mm -hmm. um, but in the midst of that, what Buddhism teaches you is that you you lose you lose identity. Yeah. You stop being you. You're supposed to. Yeah. So who's going to do the enjoyment when you've lost complete identity? Not you, because you don't exist anymore. Is that the sort of worldview that you want to have? Is that the way you want to think about the purpose, and ex the purpose and direction of your life? So here's, let me put it in a crude way. The purpose and reason for my existence is to get to a point when I no longer exist. Yeah, it's like, is that desirable? It's not as beautiful as I was just saying. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's not. Yeah, yeah. Because when you, but, but that's the logical breakdown of it. When you follow through, you know, there's right. there's beauty in pieces. Uh, I guess I could, I guess I could put it. You know, there's there's beauty in pieces, but I think that the the Christian worldview has beauty all the way through. It's got beauty in the in right. the darkness. It's got beauty. Uh, in the parts that are supposed to be beautiful, there's beauty in in even when you read how uh, screwed up the apostles are. You know, it's just, it's beautiful how God uses them anyway. Everybody in in the whole entire yeah. Bible besides Jesus is just a complete screw up. You know, and it, it's it's beautiful how it how it uh, um, how it all plays out. And I think that as far as eternally thinking, you know, when we're thinking about beyond this life because every, every worldview except atheism has some sort of view about what happens in the next life right christianity has the most beautiful for those who put their faith in christ the, it just it makes the most sense to me it just really does i had one of my friends uh who's who's a deep thinker as well and he's like you know i, I don't know what i would think about the world if jesus isn't god mm. You know, if, if that is not a possibility, what else is there? Because I, I can't find any, any, better, any better thing to look forward to than the promises yeah. found in, in Christ through, throughout eternity. You know, and to wrestle with 
um, with that question of, you know, if Jesus is not God, if Jesus is not who he says he is, what else is there? To me, nothing. Like, there's there, nothing. But Yeah, I mean, again, it just goes, hey, you know, you eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow yeah. we all die. But for what? It's That stuff does not even... It does not fulfill, you know. I, I lived my my whole life like that: eat, drink, and be merry. I, I did, that. and that's the futility of it, right? Like that's just yeah. it. But even you Andrew don't have Tate, there, so that's it. Yeah, you know, Andrew Tate says it. As much as I disagree with that guy on many things, like ninety nine percent of things, <laughs> he he has everything that you could materially ask for, and especially according man, to him, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially as a man of, of the, the type of man that he is. And he's still, you know, he, he may be just playing us, but he still yeah. was on was seeking God, seeking something to fill that hole. Because you, you can't fill the hole. You can't fill a God-sized hole with anything but God. You know, the Bible says that, that he's put eternity in the hearts of men. And here we try to, um, you know, we try to fill that eternity with temporal things. And it's, it's impossible. You can't, you, you can't fill something that's set on eternity with things that are finite you just can't do it and yeah. christ is the only thing that can fill that amen um i think there's a question here that i'd like to respond to yeah yeah go for it go for it we're yeah, we're, we're just rolling now all right so we're just brooklyn we're just rolling so brooklyn <laughs> brooklyn said when, when apologists give reasons for the faith they are using their minds to think aren't our thoughts subjective Aren't minds conditioned by the things we read? How do you know you got it right? So Brooklyn, uh, very good question. Um, I would say probably this question needs to be uh, nuanced a little bit more. Um, no, not all thoughts are subjective, right? Um, because truth is there and can be known. So think about moral truths. Think about even like, I exist. That the the one holding the thought i exist uh, is subjective uh, but the proposition that i exist is objective might get a little te technical here uh Bro, but lose lose a deep thinker so you're you're not gonna you're not gonna yeah, lose okay. him <laughs> good. good um so propositions can be very ob objective but subjectively held so God exists is a proposition that I hold to be true subjectively. And if you ask me, are there objective reasons as to why God exists? And I'll give you a number of reasons for God's existence. Uh, and those reasons will be based on evidence. And then it's objective in that sense, whether somebody subjectively holds it or not. Um, you know, like there's atheists I talk to who will complain uh, quite a bit about God. Um, and they're like, oh, this is inconsistent and stuff like that. I go, that's great. But those are just like your subjective feelings on whether God should have done that, would have done that, whatever. Like, it doesn't mean much. You, you, what you're essentially telling me is that you don't like the way God did things. Not all atheists, some, like I said. Uh, but that has nothing to do whether God exists or not. Yeah. God could exist and do a bunch of stuff you don't like. And you can't do anything about it, like his existence, right? So... Um, the second part of it is, aren't minds conditioned by the things we read? Well, it really depends what you mean by that, right? Um, in regards to the amount of information we have, the, um, how we might process things, sure. But there are certain things that you cannot do unless you employ the laws of logic. 
And these aren't subjective at all. The laws of logic are the most objective things you can possibly think about because you won't be able to even think about the laws of logic without employing the laws of logic. And maybe these are the three main laws of logic you can think about is uh, the law of non-contradiction, the law of excluded middle, and the law of identity. So I'm not denying subjectivity, but to say that um, our minds are completely informed in a subjective way, I would say no, that's just not true. Maybe philosophically, if you're interested, you might want to look into a couple of conversations that happen uh, that are a conversation between realists and anti-realists. Mm. Um, so those that, that might be of interest to you. Those, those are super deep yeah. uh, conversations. I, idealism, yeah. idealism is something uh, that, that really interests me um, because, uh, you know, studying the new age and stuff. And there's uh, like two forms of, of panentheism. One is strong, one mm. is weak. And, um, you know, the most people in the new age, they switch back and forth to um, pantheism and panentheism. They, I've noticed that when they're talking to Christians, they'll speak more uh, panentheistic. And when they're talking to everyone else, they're, they're pantheistic. But, um, uh. you know, I've, I've listened to arguments for the weak panentheist view uh, of, um, of God. And, you know, I, I'm not sold on it, obviously. But um, it, it's a very interesting, it's interestingly articulated in the way that it's able to separate itself from strong panentheism. It's, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those who are listening and have no idea what panentheism is, it's, it's essentially that uh, we are an extension or a manifestation of, of God. So that means that this is oh, strong. When you say we, you mean like all of creation? Yes, all of creation. You know, oh, everything. us, the table. Not just, not just the um, yeah. Yeah, so this Trees, is why it, animals, everything. This is why it borders on pantheism. You know, it's it's. So that's the thing, right? Like everything is God in that worldview. Yeah. Every or, or like so. Here's a modern example: uh, Oprah Winfrey getting up there and talking about how like everything has a spark of the divine. Yeah. Or yeah. some or some quote unquote preachers who use this kind of language in their sermons, mm-hmm. without even realizing the nonsense they're uttering. Yeah, they say oh, we have a. I, I remember Todd White said something like you got we a have, God spark in you. Yeah, yeah, we have divine uh, nature of Abba. Our DNA is the divine nature of Abba. I'm like, dang, bro, how much you smoked in order to think of this? You know. <laughs> yeah. And and what you knew, and what you what you what you would do and what they do is they'll take Bible passages like we're made in the image of God. Oh, yeah. that Christians have understood a specific way for the last 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. And then they'll take that and then quote it in the context of the other. And then people go, oh, yeah, that's what it's saying. It's like, no, that's not what it's saying at all. Yeah. You know? They also uh, so take you the, speak things into existence, so on and so forth. Yeah, they also take, uh, it's in John where uh, Jesus says, isn't it written in your law that ye are gods? Lord, and th- yeah. they, they take that because he uses the word, uh, you know, in, in the Hebrew is Elohim. They, they take that as, um, as, see, this is Jesus saying that we're gods. And I actually have been trying to record a video on this um, for like a month. But every single time I sit down to do it, there's either sirens outside. This is, you know, one of those videos that, that I really got to focus on. But it's like you just completely ignore the context. One, he's quoting, um, you know, I think it's like either Psalm, Psalm 86 or, yeah. or, or 82. It's out or of the like. yeah, 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 it's, it's one of those, it's, right? It's and he, he quotes it. 
And he's speaking specifically to the Jews. You know, he's so if let's just say, hypothetically speaking, which this is not uh, the context, but hypothetically speaking, let's just say that he actually is saying that you are gods, meaning you are little gods, divine by nature. Mm-hmm. He's specifically talking to the Pharisees. He's not saying, you know, and he's saying, isn't it written in in your law, your law, that ye are gods, meaning your law saying to you that you're gods. Yeah. Isn't, isn't that what it's saying? You know, so if we were to take it as meaning that we are actual gods and divine, he's He's only talking to the Pharisees. He's not talking to anybody else there. So Well, I'll give you a better one that, that finds them in a contradiction. All right, go for it. Go for it. Okay. So Psalm 8 in the original Hebrew says, Who is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You have created him a little lower than the Elohim. Hmm. Right? Or uh, the English will say you've created him a little lower than the angels, uh, uh, because that's the Greek translation we're going off of, which is... Um, Angelos, and the book of Hebrews actually quotes this passage and quotes it as angels. But uh, in the original Hebrew, if you open up your Bible, modern Bible, uh, it'll probably say divine ones. Yep, or mighty you've ones. Created, or, or heavenly beings. Yep. Uh, you've created them a little lower than them. But the original says Elohim. You've created a little lower than the gods. So if we are, if, if Jesus is right, that the psalmist is saying um, that you are gods, how can we be gods and created lower than the gods at the same time? Both are out of the book of Psalms. So there's no kind of issues there. And if, if they're right, we are gods and we're created lower than the gods. Because there the word man is used, right? Like humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, then that's a contradiction. Yeah, that's a really good. I might add that to the video. Um, it's, it's such a... Uh, uh, it's such this is what they do all the time you know um yes they they take these things and then they they also use the um you know god is within you uh, no the the kingdom of god is within you like completely ignoring the fact that within could mean multiple things it does not mean in that context that it is written which is why most modern translations besides the the king james it has it translated amongst you or among you you know in your midst and they take that the kingdom of God is within you to mean that you are one with the universe and you are a God. And it's, this is this is why it's important to know these things, because if you could just hear Deepak Chopra say that and be like, oh, oh it yeah. does say that. Wow. Boom. Now you're down a new age rabbit hole thinking that you can um, heal your cancer with your thoughts or something, you know. So it, it's a. Uh, this is why apologetics is important too because that's right so well, you got to <laughs> know the worldview you got to know all this stuff uh, most of the times in apologetics by the way i get asked biblical questions um like people saying doesn't the bible say x and if you don't have a good hermeneutic if you don't know how to study the bible well you're not going to do apologetics very well yeah so i recommend that uh, folks uh, before you pick up like a i don't know philosophical foundations for a christian worldview which is a great book uh, you might want to pick up a book on biblical hermeneutics, like um, read the Bible for all it's worth. Mm. How to read the Bible for all it's worth. Great little book uh, will help you quite a bit. Uh, Brooklyn, so I want to come back to uh, this comment, says, so do you feel you know with absolute certainty that you, what you believe is true, can you be wrong? So Brooklyn, there are very little things that we can know for absolute certainty. Mm-hmm. 
right? Like I, absolute certainty is actually not a standard of knowledge at all by any serious philosopher. I want to say by any philosopher. Because if you made absolute certainty your standard of knowledge, the, the most you can go is a form of skepticism. You wouldn't be able to say much about knowledge-wise. So what philosophers have done for all of history, essentially, is justify knowledge, uh, sorry, is to define knowledge as justified true belief. So um, what is knowledge? It is a belief you have that is true and it's got justification. It meets three criterias. Um, because of a gentleman named Simon Gettier who found a problem with these three things, uh, in recent times, philosophers have thought about adding a fourth condition or at the very least qualifying the true condition. Uh, but that is what knowledge is, justify true belief. Uh, it is not certainty. As a matter of fact, if we sat here and I asked you whether you were certain that you existed, you'd have a very hard time with it. And what what would that mean? That you just don't know anything? It's like, are my children my children? Right? It's like, oh, I'm I'm just gonna walk around being super skeptical. Gives me anxiety. Um, right? Like, yeah, like it it just <laughs> it, it, it's a very silly way to live. Imagine like going to work and doing your job, and then your boss is supposed to pay you, and you go and you say, Hey, boss, you didn't pay me. Where's my paycheck? And he goes, Well, I'm not absolutely certain that you did all this work, so mm -hmm. I'm not gonna like that's I don't have knowledge. So you're not going to get like existence would be extremely difficult. And I don't need to be um, absolutely certain that Christianity is true. Uh, what I need is justify true belief. Um, so they're, they're in, in epistemology, which is the study of knowledge. We have uh, kind of levels, certainties all the way at the top. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, there's something beyond uh, underneath that called the evident. These would be things that are like self-evident. I would say like your own existence would fit into this category. Um, and then uh, most things would fit in the category underneath that, which is beyond reasonable doubt. And so uh, when you asked me, can I be wrong? Well, it's a funny thing asking a philosopher whether something's possible. <laughs> uh, plenty, of, plenty of things could be possible. Could I be wrong? Uh, is it possible for me to be wrong? Yes. Uh, but I think Christianity is true beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah. If you want a straight answer for me, that's what you're going to get. So I'm on, I'm I on would the same love page to hear too. a Christian say that he could be wrong. Uh, lol. Uh, so I just said, could I be wrong? Yes. But I think Christianity is true beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah. A, a good amount of conditions would need to be met in order for me to say, therefore, Christianity is wrong. Yeah. It would, it would, I've, I've gone beyond the intellectual, uh, like intellectualizing it and looking at the evidence and all of that stuff. And I hear the arguments against it all the time. Cause I'm always digging, you know, I'm just yeah. always digging, 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 but I've, I've now went into the experiential, right. And I, I have just experienced God in my life, um, in my relationship with Christ and things that I've seen him do in not only my life, but the, the people around me. And it's a very subjective thing. I've, I never thought that I would get to a point where uh, such a subjective thing could could be such a, a uh, foundational reason for well, my be belief, like, you know. But I've gone all over the place when it comes to emotions and uh, subjective feelings and stuff, okay? Uh, so I'm putting my cards out there for you guys to, to, to know that. 
um, there was a point in, in my life where I was like, it's, it's worthless. <laughs> this is at the beginning of studying philosophy. Now, I give a lot more credence to subjectivity. Hmm. I'll give you an example. When my six-year-old daughter looks at me and says, Dad, I love you, uh, I don't look at her and say, hmm, you know, her name's Nairi. Say, hey, Nairi, I'm not very certain of that, <laughs> uh, whether you love me or not. Because you, what you do is plenty of times disobey me. And um, if you were to really love me, right? Like, you keep you would, my commands. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, uh, there's a different context there, by the way. Like, and so I'm like <laughs> distrustful of my daughter and super skeptical of my daughter expressing her love for me as a six-year-old. I say that because experiences has brought me to a place. I'm, I'm 37 years old, guys. This, this year I'll turn 38. Experience has brought me to a place where I would say, I don't know whether I would put a percentage on it, right? But it's like I have these reasons. Let's just say it takes a chunk of the pie. And then all these other things that take parts of the pie and experience would be there. Uh, and the way I would say is that if your worldview is true, your experiences are going to come out truthful experiences. Mm. So it's not like I go from the experiences, but I value and enjoy my experiences quite a bit more because I think all the foundational work is there. Mm. Think about that's experiences a, as like the decorations in your house or something like that. That's like, a good way to it, put it. So I enjoy him. Like it's, it's like I see God doing things. When, when, somebody, when I look at someone's life and it's been revolutionized and changed and it's so different. Like I, for me, obviously, it's a lot easier for me to say, well, yeah, God did that because I have all the foundational work as to God doing those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Where my friend that I've known since the sixth grade who's not a Christian and looks at me and tells other people, you guys don't know this, man. <laughs> okay, so my friend will tell my Christian friends, this guy was a wicked, wicked man. And my friend's <laughs> not a Christian. And we'll say, I don't know what's happened to him, but something's happened to, to him. Right? But he doesn't have the worldview to kind of put it in there. Yeah. He's like, is it maturity? But no, it's not just maturity because Arthur keeps talking about God and this is the way his life's changed. Where my Christian friends are able to interpret those facts in a very well-rounded manner. Yeah. That is... Uh... That's a good point, and uh, I'm I'm glad that you went through this about um, about having uh, you know the since the foundation is set, you can now see those you can experience those experiences through that lens yeah. of like kind of like confirmation on the foundation, and it's interesting. My friends say the same thing, and I had a I had a a, a much longer run of wicked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, till you I did, was like, yes. <laughs> till I was like 28, 29. So uh, I, I actually just got asked to be the best man at um, one of my friend's weddings. And I'm like, why <laughs> did he, I'm like, why did he pick me? I'm like, you know what? Probably because I've changed a lot and he can trust me with yeah. his speech, you know, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it's, it's evident in, in, Christians, like when, when we hear about somebody's past and how Christ has changed them, it's evident that Christ has changed them. And like, for example, my family members just think I, you know, I found religion, so I got better. Like I, I used it to, to get better. They, it's, it's been good for me 
um, to have something to believe in to 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 push me in a more positive direction and I'm I'm glad that they noticed the change, but I'm like Jesus, just pay attention, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like um, I would have picked a much easier religion. <laughs> yo, for real, I yo I always say that too. I'm like, um, you know, these are things that I now view as disgusting, right? These are things that yeah. I now view through a completely different lens, but from a secular perspective, right? If prior to my Christian walk, I was able to drink smoke, sleep around, do drugs, uh, screw people over, you know, all of these things without blinking my eye and without my conscience bothering me. And I could screw people over, make money. I could go live a lavish lifestyle, do whatever I want, right? I could Andrew Tate it up if I want to. Why out of everything that I could have picked, would I have picked the one that would quote unquote strip me of all of that joy, right? secularly speaking because it no matter how much of that yeah. stuff i did i was never happy but from from the the worldly perspective why would i do that why would i say ah oh, you know what i think i'm gonna commit to one woman for the rest of my life why would oh, yeah. i say yeah i'm gonna you know i'm gonna um speak about political issues that are gonna divide my family why why would i um say yeah i'm gonna devote uh time fridays to helping the youth at the church i'm gonna uh, go to church every single sunday even when i want to be at the beach why would i do that it makes no sense it's it's because it's because i believe that christianity is true i believe jesus rose from the dead it's just the facts to me are undeniable so i look at them and i say I could either believe it because it's the truth is staring me in the face or I could just deny it and go live my my life. But I, I'm not somebody who can look at truth and deny it. I just I can't do it. And and if if something is true, I have to acknowledge that it's true and change uh, accordingly. You know, I, I I'd speak to some people who have a difficult time wrestling with God's morality, um, you know, and, and the social constructs of morality and what we believe in society be, society to be moral in comparison to what, you know, God believed is moral. And there were certain things when I came to the realization that Christianity was true. There were certain things that I still didn't agree with, with God. Right. Where, mm -hmm. where I didn't one, I 100 percent did not understand why I can't go do whatever I want with my body. But I also didn't understand, like, hey, if there's like two people of the same sex that just want to live a monogamous relationship and adopt a kid and like they're not bothering anybody. Why is that wrong? You know, but what I had to do is is remove my emotions and my my subjective views on things and, and realize if the truth is staring me in the face, if I have an issue with the way God runs the universe, that doesn't change the fact that he exists. Correct. Right? It does not change that his laws exist either, and it does not change the fact that he set up the universe in the way that he set it up, and I can't question it because he says, you know, this is right, this is wrong. I can still, if I, if I truly disagreed with the way he's running the universe today, it doesn't change the fact that he is running the universe. So in the same way that I may not agree with certain laws that whatever state I'm living in puts out, you know, I don't agree with abortion uh, at all. So I will disagree with the laws that are there. Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes I wanna, I, I wanna drive through a red light. I really do. But I don't do it because I'm living in that state, so I have to abide by the laws. In, well, because, I really don't like the laws of math. 
Okay. I don't like <laughs> yeah. the fact that when I have a bunch of stuff and I give some of it away, that I have less of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't like it. Like, especially when it comes to money. Like, I don't like the fact that I got 500 bucks with me and I go buy something for 200 bucks. Now I have $200 less. I would prefer to go buy something when I had 500 bucks and the people in front of me give me another 500 bucks. But it is the way it is, right? Like, this, this, it's a brute fact. It's just the reality of things. Yeah. Um, and that's, that, that's, there are things that I question quite a bit about God and with God. I mean, I talk to him um, uh, about these things. Uh, but that, that doesn't change the fact that he exists. I mean, exactly. you see this in the Bible. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is c- complaining to God and says, God, what are you doing? The Babylonians are coming in here. They're going to come slaughter us and kill us. Where are you? You've abandoned us, X, Y, and Z. God tells Habakkuk, hey, listen, Habakkuk, <clears throat> I'm about to do something in your day and time where if, it w- if somebody had even seen it and told you, you wouldn't believe it. And then he goes on to tell Habakkuk what he's going to do. He says, I'm going to use the Babylonians to judge my people because they've been rebellious to me. And then I'm going to turn around and judge the Babylonians for being ruthless themselves. And in that way, he essentially says, I'm going to get justice and discipline and accomplish my purposes. And it's like, well, Habakkuk didn't like that very much. As a matter of fact, the whole book is him going back and forth arguing with God. Um, But that doesn't mean God doesn't exist. That's just the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Now, if somebody already doesn't believe God exists, I want to know their reasons as to why they don't think God exists. Um, and then we'll, you know, you take it one at a time and, and, and see if you can deal with it. Yeah. It's, it's not that complicated. It really is not. It's, it's, um, it's complicated when, when you don't, when you don't uh, use the logical part of your brain and part of your mind. Sorry. And, uh, yeah, but one, <laughs> I like that. You use the emotional side, you know. I'm I'm gonna do an interview with a guy on the metaphysics of the human brain and mind and stuff like that. So look out nice. for that, uh, Matthew Owen. But by the um, way, if you guys are not following and subscribed to Arthur's channel, you need to do it. He's tagged in the video. Just go click the button and and go over there. Yeah, it's fun content. Um, or at least I tried it to be. Uh, Brooklyn, I want to suggest a. a, a something to read it's i think it's an article by alvin plantinga um and it is wow i'm forgetting the. i might be mixing up two different titles it might it might be the the naturalistic argument against evolution um there's an argument he proposed basically look for this there's an argument that's been proposed as to why one should even trust their reasoning abilities if God doesn't exist. So the the idea here is this, that human beings, our minds are set up in a way where we are truth seeking, okay? Um, But if evolution is true um, in in the naturalistic sense, in the Darwinian sense, if evolution is true, then our minds are not set up in the sense to achieve truth, but to achieve survivability. Um, And survivability, by the way, there's plenty of uh, examples we can give that um, lying and cheating and doing things of this sort and being false uh, is going to help you in survivability over truth. Uh, Especially considering that um, 
pure atheism gives you no free will and complete determinism. So there's no reality and responsibility. Um, But I would recommend uh, you read that because it seems like we're the complete opposite, right? Our minds are set up in a way where we, um, we look for truth. We try to find truth. They're, they're truth seeking as opposed to just survivalistic. C.S. Lewis got a good, good quote on that as well. Um, about like like why would you even trust that thing if that's what you believe about yeah, your mind you know why why, why would, would you, you even trust, your trust mind? it yep but anyway arthur uh cool we've been on here like almost two hours i've i could continue talking but um my wife has opened the door so uh <laughs> you know what that means <laughs> it's like, what is it is it is it like 10 30 where you are yeah it's about to be 10 30 my brother's not a, he yeah. was supposed to come in at uh at, at two two o'clock and now it's it's four o'clock jet blue for the win but um <laughs> so there you go sorry uh brooklyn said have a link and i will read it definitely yeah if you send uh, it you have to search it you have to search it i can send it to john but yeah well, uh, I think i'll post it in the description argument against evolution i'll post it uh, in yeah, the I'll description right of the video cool Yep. Be there. So with that being said, guys, thank you so much for being on here for, for you know, this extended amount of time, making it through all of the, um, <laughs> all of the technical difficulties. I'm going to try and cut those out for the playback. Um, also, we're on streaming services as well, Spotify, Apple, you know, all of that stuff. So within the next 24 hours, you'll see it popped up on there. So if you want to re-listen to this on your drive and and, and wrestle with some of the uh, discussion that we've had, you can do that as well. Um, definitely follow Arthur on um, on Instagram. I'm going to put everything in the, um, in the description once this is fully uploaded. Uh, Follow him on there. Subscribe to him. He also has a, a, a great e-course as well that you can. Um, he's a smart dude, if you guys can't tell. So if you're looking to learn, he's somebody you can learn from. I learn from him every single time I watch his videos. We got a bunch of people in our Why Jesus Network that I learn from a lot. So, um, Arthur, any final thoughts before we sign out? No, my only thing I would say is keep thinking, folks. Um, I don't care whether you're Christian or, uh, or not. Keep thinking, keep asking the relevant questions. Uh, Christians have a lot of growing to do when it comes to the area of uh, kind of intellectual growth to do. That will result in spiritual growth. Uh, but I also realize that non-Christian, ha- non-Christians plenty of times have objections against Christianity that are really not objections. They're more like complaints. Uh, now, that doesn't mean there aren't objections. There are objections, but Christians are dealing with those objections and have been for the last 2,000 years. So keep doing Amen. it. Amen. Keep thinking, everybody. Keep thinking. That's a good note to leave it on. All right, guys. God bless. Have a beautiful night. And uh, make sure you share this with your friends if you got some value out of it.